Jeremiah chapter 17, and we're going to consider this morning one of the most challenging but most famous verses in this book. This is 9 and 10 of Jeremiah 17, and then verse 14, verse 14. So let's just read those. Jeremiah 17, verses 9 and 10, and then the 14th verse. The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruits of his doings. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. The heart. This is what God is interested in this morning. What's the heart? The heart is the main thing in Christianity. Just as our physical hearts are essential to our bodies, so the heart here, in its spiritual sense, is essential to our souls. One of the wisest men who ever lived, Solomon, he puts it like this, out of the heart are the issues of life. Another proverb of King Solomon, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. So what is your heart? What's my heart like this morning? God isn't interested in our thoughts, not to begin with. We can have all the right views when it comes to the gospel. But if our hearts are not right, we are not truly saved. We can do all the right actions. And I'm not thinking now of actions in a children's chorus. Our life can be impeccable. But if our hearts are not right, it just makes us hypocrites. We can feel, we, we can tremble under the preaching of the word. We can weep, but it will do us no good if our hearts are not affected. It is said of Welshmen, of which I am one, as you can guess, that it's easy to make a Welshman cry. It takes an earthquake for a Welshman to change his mind. So what God is looking at this morning is not our thoughts primarily, not our lifestyle, not our feelings primarily, but our hearts. Son, daughter, give me your hearts. So it's 
that which Christianity is interested in. Uh, the heart is the control room, if you like, of our being. Everything else arises from that. It's the control room that we are looking at. Who's really in control of our life? So that's the first thing. And then what Jeremiah says about the heart here is one of the most difficult things in the whole of the Bible. What does he say? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Now, he's not mincing words there, is he? Desperately evil. Now then, what does that mean? Desperately it's not a little uh, corrupt, but it's totally depraved. Now then, somebody might pipe up. Well, pastor, that was maybe true of people in Jeremiah's day. These people were treating the prophets horrendously. At one point, he not only was persecuted, but he was put in prison. Uh, I've said this before and I'll say it again, we need not panic as Christians if we are prosecuted for saying what God's word says. It has been the normal practice of the world. It's abnormal for us not to get into trouble. So people might say, well, they were like that in Jeremiah's day. But if you go right back to the beginning, in Noah's day, do you know what God's diagnosis of the heart was? Every imagination of the thoughts, the intents and motives of the heart is only evil continually. Only evil continually. Do you know what that means? It means that the bias in mankind, is towards evil. Have you ever played bowls? I've only played it once, and that was enough. If you try and bowl a bowl, it doesn't go in a straight line. It's got a bias in it. It's weighed so that it turns to the side. And that's what humanity is like. We've got this bias. That's what the word desperately wicked suggests even when we desire to go in a straight line even when we desire to do good evil this bias is present with us turning us aside so this was the state of mankind in the old testaments but it doesn't change when we come to the new testaments the strongest words about the human heart weren't jeremiah's it was Jesus, the greater than Jeremiah, who uttered these words. Uh, we looked at them when we went through Mark's gospel. From within, out of the heart, proceed. And then he gives a list of horrible things. Evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, an evil eye, jealousy, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. If you want to add to that list, you're welcome to. What Jesus is saying, whatever evil men do, they don't come from the outside 
and infect us. They come from within, from the very core of our personality. We're rotten inside. And like a fountain spouting out dirty water, so the heart is spouting out all sorts of terrible things. It's total depravity, as the theologians would say. It doesn't mean we're all as bad as we can be. Thank God. Thank God. But what it means, this is the desperately wicked. What it means is the totality of our hearts is corrupt. So if you think of an apple, the, the best children's talk I've ever heard, and it shows how powerful it was because I can still remember it. 40 years later, I was a boy in a chapel in South Wales, and I don't think the gospel was preached in this chapel, but the man who did the children's talk must have believed the gospel. It wasn't the minister, it was somebody else, because he took an apple, and it was the most beautiful, shiniest apple that my young eyes had ever seen. It looked delicious. And I thought that must be a delicious apple to taste. And then the man doing the children's talk took a knife and he cut the apple in half and it was rotten inside. That's what this desperately wicked total depravity means. We're rotten inside. We may not be rotten on the outside yet, uh, we hear of people that are out and out evil, and we may not be that, thank God, but inside of us are the seeds of every known sin. Do you realize that about yourself this morning? That's what the Bible says, that whatever a person may be tempted to do, we have the seeds of that in our own hearts. One of the best writers in the last century was C.S. Lewis, and one of his best books, The Screwtape Letters. Have you read it? It's about the way the devil tempts us. And C.S. Lewis was, he was told this. This is what somebody said to him. Some have paid me an undeserved compliment by supposing that my screw-tape letters were the ripe fruit of many years' study in moral and ascetic theology. They thought that he wrote this brilliant book about temptation and about sin because he'd studied all the big uh, authors on it. No, no, Lewis says. They forgot that there is an equally reliable, though less creditable way of learning how temptation works. My heart, I need no others. My own heart, my own heart. And I don't need to know your heart this morning to know about sin. I know enough of my own heart. We don't need to be pointing the finger at other people. We've got three fingers pointing at ourselves. We sometimes are too busy, aren't we? Thinking about the wrongs of others. We've got plenty of wrongs in our own hearts to be.
be worried about. So the heart is desperately wicked. But it's not just that. It gets worse. The heart is deceitful above all things. I think this is, this is the worst part of it. Not only are we totally corrupt, not as bad as we can be, but the very core of our being, every part of us has been polluted by sin. But we fool ourselves into thinking that we're all right. Now, we won't say that we're perfect, will we? I don't think anybody here this morning will say that they're perfect. But what we may say is, I'm not perfect, but I'm not that bad. Do you say that? That's what I said when I was um, considering Christianity. Uh, you know, I'm not the kind of person who needs saving. I'm able to do it myself. Of course, I'm a sinner. I'm not perfect, but I'm not hell-deserving. My heart is good. Jeremiah says, oh no. And since being saved, I can say, oh no, my heart isn't like that. It's desperate. And I was deceived. And you are deceived this morning if you think that somehow you are not that bad. What's your favourite Charles Dickens story? Do you like Charles Dickens? One of the greatest novelist in the English language. One of my favourites is Martin Chuzzlewitz. And there's an elderly gentleman called Martin Chuzzlewitz, and he's got a will, and all his family members, he's about to die, and they're all interested in him because they want his money. They want his money. And this is what old Martin Chuzzlewitz said in the book. What lawsuits grow out of the graves of rich men every day Sowing perjury, hatred, and lies among near kindred, where there should be nothing but love. Heaven help us. We have much to answer for. And then he put his finger on the problem. This is how he put it. Oh, self, self, self. Every man for himself and no creature for me. Do you see yourself as the problem? Lord, I've been fooling myself. Self, self, self. I can't escape from it. Even when I think of spiritual things, I can become proud of my achievements. The deceptive hearts. The deceptive hearts. But then Jeremiah goes on to say, not only is the heart desperately wicked and deceitful above all things, no one can know it. You can't. I can't. All we can see are the actions, the outward in the person. Only one person sees the heart. Do you know who that is? God knows. I, the Lord, verse 10, search the hearts. Isn't that a frightening statement this morning? There's a prayer I want us all to pray. Lord, show me myself. Lord, show me what I'm really like. 
Not what I think I'm like. Not what other people think I'm like. Not what I want other people to think I'm like. But Lord, show me myself as I really am. Can you pray that prayer? If you can pray that prayer with ease, you haven't realized what you're really like. There is something frightening about God seeing not just our thoughts and our feelings and what we do, but seeing beyond that into the motives, the things that make us tick. We're all good at play acting, aren't we? Uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones has got a famous sermon on these verses, and uh, he puts it like this. If we only saw into the depth of each other's minds, uh, then we would, uh, as it were, collapse in a moment. If, if you only saw into my heart, you wouldn't want me as your pastor. And you probably feel the same about your heart. Arthur Conan Doyle, the man who wrote Sherlock Holmes, he played a practical trick, didn't he, on some very notable uh, people. Uh, he sent them a note uh, saying something along the lines, all has been discovered and will be revealed. And those men fled the country because they thought that Conan Doyle had discovered the skeletons in their cupboard, but he hadn't discovered anything. He simply knew his own hearts. And we've all got something to hide. And what we're asking is, oh God, shine your light into the darkest recesses of my heart and show me as I really am. It's a prayer that we who are religious need to pray more than anything. I know Christianity is more than a religion, but most of us here this morning are religious. Otherwise, we wouldn't be in a service of worship. And our danger is to think that because we do certain things, we're not going to be uh, going down the road uh, that we heard about in the announcements. Uh, and we, we, we are glad about that, and rightly so. But then the danger is that we can become proud of that, and we can, as it were, think that we're all right because we're respectable. It's the heart that God is interested in. What we need to do is get rid of the mask and ask God to show us what we're really like. That's why Jeremiah got into trouble, you know. The religious leaders didn't like it. He didn't like... That hymn we sang, eternal light, that's who God is. God is light in him, there is no darkness at all. Eternal light. How often do you clean your house? I often think I've done a good job cleaning because I've cleaned the room in artificial light. And I think it's spotless. And then the following day, the sun is shining. Natural light beaming through the windows. And lo and behold, there's dust that I didn't notice. 
The artificial light doesn't show it up, but the natural strength of the sunlight shows up all the dusty corners. My friends, when we put ourselves before the artificial, the man-made light of our own standards or of the standards of others, we can pat ourselves on the back and we can think somehow we're all right. But this is what I want you to pray. This is what Jeremiah is leading us to this morning. You don't do that, my friend. You pray to God, oh Lord, show me myself in your light. Let the light of your Holy Spirit Come into my heart. Uh, as the hymnist said, Oh, how can I, whose native sphere, here's a man, Thomas Binney, who'd prayed that prayer. Lord, show me myself. And he sees, I'm dark. My mind is dim. How can I, before the ineffable, before this infinite being appear, and on my naked spirit bear that uncreated beam? Are you going to let that uncreated, not a man-made beam, but an uncreated beam show you up as you really are. There was a great preacher between the two world wars in Northern Ireland called W.P. Nicholson, and he, like Roger Carswell, did missions, and he was preaching in one church, I think it was in Belfast, during a mission, and somebody had invited their non-Christian friend along to the meeting, and after the preaching of the gospel, uh, they turned to their non-Christian friend and asked them, what did you think of that then? And the person wasn't pleased. They said to the person that had invited them, if I would have known that you had told the preacher everything about me, I wouldn't have come. But they hadn't done anything of the sorts. W.P. Nicholson simply preached God's word and the secrets of the hearts were brought to the lights. The heart, that's what God is interested in this morning, not what we're like outwardly, not how respectable we are. What's your heart like? It's desperately wicked. Every part of us is polluted, and we've deceived ourselves, and God sees right through us. And this is the gospel jewel we're coming to. What's the attitude of Jeremiah to all of this? Does he run away and cry out in hopelessness and helplessness, we're doomed? No. He cries out. This is amazing. He's asked God to search him. And he's aware that before God's holy light, he is going to shrivel. And yet... He turns to God and says, heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. Show me myself. Lord, show me thyself. In Jesus Christ. Can I ask you, I'm asking myself as much as anybody. Have you come to the point where you've given up play acting? You've given up trying to put on a religious veneer. Uh, whether it's religious or whether it's good works, it doesn't matter. We, we've all got that veneer. 
and just come to God and say, look, Lord, here am I. Here am I. I'm a fraud. I've got a bad heart. Do do, do you know what God will do? (laughs) God will change your hearts. One of the loveliest statements in the Bible is this, the sacrifices that God wants are not great religious activities. The sacrifices that please God are a broken and a contrite heart. This is what God is looking for, for you and me this morning. Are our hearts broken or are we still proud in our hearts? Can you join me this morning in saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. It doesn't matter what else I may think of myself or what others may think of me. But deep in my heart, I'm just a wicked, hell-deserving sinner. Can you say that? When you come to that place, you've got nothing to lose. You've got nothing to lose. You've got nothing more to hide. That's why Mr. Spurgeon said, give me a sinner and I can talk to that person for hours on end. They're no longer running away. And you need not run away from this church. You need not run away from the Saviour I am presenting. Because he delights, he delights to do heart surgery for sinners. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Uh, second hymn, I think. This is the place we come to. Not the labors of my hands. I've tried, Lord. I've tried doing my own uh, surgery. I've tried maybe doing good things, but I'm doing them for the wrong reasons, and they are damning my soul. I've tried reading my Bible. I've tried praying. I've tried coming to church. I've tried doing my good works, but I'm doing them for all the wrong reasons in order to try and change my heart. And instead of changing my heart, they're making it worse. Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite? No. The zeal of some people in the sects puts us to shame. I had a letter through the post the other day, a personal letter written by a person I did not know. It was a Jehovah's Witness. They were so concerned about my soul that they took the trouble of writing a letter. But even that amount of zeal won't change our hearts. Could my tears forever flow? No. Oh, for sin could not atone. The problem is we're tainted by sin. We can't do it because we ourselves are sinful. There's only one solution. Thou must save and thou alone. Have we come there? It's Jesus Christ or nothing. Either he saves me or I'm lost. And this is the good news, as I'm coming to a conclusion, because we've got to go to communion, and we're being reminded, even in the elements, how he did it. God became a surgeon, a heart surgeon. 
They're very capable people, aren't they, heart surgeons? Uh, there was a documentary many years ago about them, and you've got to admire them. But this is a heart surgeon like, unlike any other. God himself becoming one of us. And you know what makes Jesus Christ different to you and me? He was a real human being, born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, but he was different in one way and in one key way. He had a perfect heart. He had a clean heart. He had no sin at all in him. And you know what is amazing about this heart surgeon? Uh, often uh, people, uh, and I'm not thinking of anybody, people who are consultants, uh, they don't always have the best uh, bedside manner. But Jesus Christ, oh, even though he is God, God, man, the perfect one, he went to where the people were. He had a heart for the poor and the needy and the lost, and people just gravitated towards him because they knew this is a man who cares. He's the friend of sinners. And you know what he did in order to do the heart surgery? The surgery had to be so radical because we're desperately wicked that he himself had to die for us. No heart surgeon has done that. Any surgery done by us uh, is, as it were, uh, the person doing the surgery is uh, uh, the professional. But when Jesus Christ came to do this heart surgery, he himself was the surgery. He himself went to that cross. And on that cross, he bore the judgment of a holy God for your sin and mine. How can we ever have new hearts if our sins are crying to God for justice? And God in Christ was reconciling the world unto himself. On that cross, Jesus Christ took all the punishment which you and I deserved. And he sucked all the poison of sin out of us. And he conquered death. And he rose from the dead. And he's alive at this moment. And he's standing and he's saying, all power and authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And if you can come to me, Trusting in me alone, turning from your sin, acknowledging that you can't heal yourself or save yourself. If you trust in me, I will not only forgive you, but I will give you a new heart. Heart operation, heart operation. My nephew had to have a heart operation as a teenager a few years ago, and he showed me the scar. I nearly fainted. <laughs> But all they did, well, not all, but <laughs> they didn't change his heart. They just replaced two valves. They just replaced two valves. And th that was major surgery, major surgery. But do you know what happens when you become a Christian? Not when you decide for Christ. That, that, that's man-made Christianity. When Jesus Christ gives you a new heart. Do you know what happens? It's even more radical than the heart surgery my nephew had. He takes away this dead heart of stone that we have. And he, as it were, takes it upon himself on the cross. He took it upon himself. And he puts in you a heart that is absolutely new. He puts new life in you. He puts his spirit in you. He himself comes and he takes over. He's the controller now. He's the controller. 
It doesn't mean that we're perfect. Like that uh, bike light, the second one I showed, that was flickering. We may not be perfect, but now we've been forgiven because Christ has taken our punishment and we've been born again. Sometimes we're told there are born-again Christians. No, there's only one Christian. Every Christian is born again. There's no two categories of Christian. If we're not born of the Spirit, we're not truly saved. But he gives a new heart. Well, have you come? Have you come to Jesus Christ for heart surgery? To quote again from Rock of Ages, have you got, got yourself to the position where you say, Thou must save and thou alone. So what do I do? I don't stay where I'm at. I go to him. How do I do it? I say to him, Lord, nothing in my hands I bring. I've got nothing. I've got nothing to recommend myself to you. I'm a fraud, Lord. I may fool others, but I can't fool you. So nothing in my hand I bring. There's only one thing I've got. Do you know what it is? Your merit. So simply... To thy cross, I cling. That's all I've got. That's all I've got. A famous preacher was interviewed on the radio once. It was Ian Paisley. He was interviewed. And the interviewer said to Dr. Paisley, when you get to heaven... I'm sure you'll be able to point to God, as it were, to all the things you've done, all the good things. You, you were a minister, you were a missionary, you were the principal of a Bible college, you were the moderator of a church, you were an MP, all of these things. And Dr. Paisley said, oh no, oh no. The only thing, the only thing I'll be able to say is Jesus lived and died for me. Hallelujah. Jesus lived and died for me, a hell-deserving sinner with a bad heart, a sinful heart, a deceitful heart. But praise be to his name. He came down to earth for me. He went to that cross and died for me. He lived a perfect life, not for his own sake, but for me. And he's in heaven now. And what's he doing there? He's praying for me. He loved me and gave himself for me. And he can do the same for you. You know, my nephew now is proud of the fact that he's had heart surgery. He's, let me tell you, I'm proud of the spiritual heart surgery that Jesus Christ has done. And I want every one of you to know the same for his name's sake. Now then, let's sing together. Before we come to the Lord's Supper, I hear thy welcome voice that calls me, Lord, to thee for washing, cleansing in thy blood that flowed on Calvary. And then what's our response? I am coming, Lord. Coming, not later, but coming now to thee. Wash me, 
cleanse me in the blood that flowed on Calvary. Father in heaven, we just praise thee for our saviour, surgeon, 
friend and Lord. And we just thank thee for what he did on that cross and that he ever lives to save to the uttermost. Even though our hearts are desperately wicked, he can save to the very end. And we praise thee that however sinful we may feel ourselves to be, however we may feel to be frauds, we just thank thee that Jesus Christ is the truth and that he loves to save sinners. Help us all, Father, to just come to that place where we cry out, I am coming, coming now to thee. Wash me, cleanse me in the blood that flowed on Calvary. In his name, amen.